At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 388th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is reinforcing local food and ag in the heartland of America. We're talking with Jess Mazur about building a resilient food system. Jess is a farm and environment organizer for Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, a 5,000-member nonprofit. She organizes with local communities to develop statewide strategies to stop corporate factory farms from building. In 2013, Jess worked with a 10-state coalition farm and ranch group to develop a new narrative around food and ag justice. Jess also built a citizen lobby team at Iowa State House to lobby for policies that build food and ag systems that work for farmers, eaters, workers, and the environment. At home, she is beginning a new urban farm in Des Moines, selling heirloom plants, local produce, and other homemade homegrown goods at a local farmer's market. Welcome to the show today, Jess. Are you ready to rock? Sure am. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah. So my involvement in our food system really came from me deciding that we need to build a better society in general. And the way that we can do that is by bringing people together. I don't think that we can advocate our way out of this. It's going to take all of us to come together and stand up and organize and build this community and the society that we want to build. 
Amen to that. Right. And through that kind of like change in my belief system, I found the organization I still work for, Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. And I've been working there for the past six years. And I've really kind of developed a strong connection to the food system and a strong belief in what I think it should and shouldn't be. And I'm really focused on how do we engage people in building that? How do we make it a reality? And how do we challenge the powers that be that are holding us back from a food system that works for farmers, eaters, workers, and the environment. So it's been a long process. I've lived in Iowa my whole life. I'm surrounded by the richest farmland in the world and the most powerful ag lobby in the world. And it's just really, you know, a contrast to see what's happening out in rural Iowa and how there's a big disconnect from what kind of farming systems we need that actually build communities and protect our environment and pay people a living wage in the process. Mm-hmm. It's been a long journey, and it's going to be a longer journey looking ahead, too. Wow. You have been busy. Yes. So tell me, what is wrong with our food system? Well, right now, at least in Iowa, and I'm sure that this is in a lot of other states because we have a lot of ally organizations working on this, too, it seems that our food system has forgotten about the values that we hold, and it is focused a lot on profit. So right now, like in Iowa, what we're seeing is instead of having independent family farmers that have diverse farms that are feeding our local communities, we have corporate-owned factory farms. We have over 10,000 of these hog factories in our state, and that's like 22 billion gallons of manure that is dumped untreated on our land annually and turning off into our waterways. These manure is collected in these giant pits that create so much toxic gas that people living around these facilities are developing environmentally induced asthma and other diseases. And I think that just shows that like the food system, when we think about the food we eat and how we grow it, those shouldn't be the outcomes of it. It shouldn't be toxic air and polluted water, all in the name of making sure that, you know, big corporations like Monsanto and Prestige and Iowa Select are getting wealthier and wealthier. I'm also seeing that like our small towns in Iowa are slowly dying. We're closing schools, we're closing hospitals, we're closing post offices because this new model of farming doesn't really require farmers anymore. We have farming without farmers. We have combines that run on their own. We have instead of, you know, 10 farmers raising a bunch of diverse crops, we have one mega farmer who has taken over that entire amount of land, that means fewer farm families and fewer things that we need in our communities to actually have a vibrant community. And that's just not in our values in Iowa. And I assume that's not in our values across the country. Like We should value our environment and how food can nourish our bodies and our souls and how can a farming be a job, You know, whether you're a farmer, whether you're an eater, or whether you're a worker in the food system, that you're making a living wage and you're getting healthy food. So I think that's a big problem right now is that we have farming that's not really benefiting the people and the things it's intended to benefit. The food that is being produced, you talked about a lot of the before the stuff gets harvested, but the food that is produced is substandard food, is it not? Right. Like in Iowa, you know, we have the richest farmland in the world, but we really only grow a few crops. We grow corn, we grow soybeans, and we raise pork. And we do have some cattle, egg, and chicken operations as well. When you think about like what farming should be, it should be that we have a diverse rotation of crops that build soil. Like when we only have monocropping across our state, we're going to have massive runoff problems and we're going to have depletion of soil. It's just really sad to watch soil run off into our water bodies. On average in Iowa, we lose five tons of soil per acre per year. And that is absolutely unacceptable. That's gold right there. 
Wow. You mentioned all these manure ponds. What never made sense to me was that manure is a waste product, but in my garden, manure is a fertilizer. Have they not clued in on that yet? I agree with you. Like I use manure in my urban farm because it is a nutrient, Mm -hmm. but what's wrong with what's happening in Iowa is it's just too much and too concentrated. When you have, you know, big factories that house 5,000 hogs, Mm -hmm. we're not having a dry manure substance that can compost and can turn into that rich black gold that we want to put into our land. It ends up just being a pit of liquid manure that sits underneath the buildings, usually holds about a million gallons at a time. Oh my gosh. It's just trapped in there and it's not turned into what we want it to be. And it still does have valuable nutrients in it. But when we look at like how we fertilize our fields, if you're buying commercial fertilizer, you only buy what you need. Mm-hmm. When you have a factory farm and you have a manure pit, you have to empty that pit every year, whether the land needs it or not. And so like what we're seeing in Iowa right now, we're going to start paying attention to a lot more, especially when we look at like Florida and phosphorus and algae blooms is phosphorus that's in this manure actually builds up in the soil over time if it's not used by the crop. When we see five tons of soil per acre lost every year, that's phosphorus running into our water bodies. And on top of that, our fields are tiled. We need to drain our fields so that they can be farmable. Nitrogen attaches to water. So as the water enters these tile lines, it has a direct highway system into our rivers and our streams and our lakes. We're not going to see that happen if we had compost and manure, if we were just applying the right amount to the land. But we just have simply too much manure. Yeah. You and I could talk for probably days about all the challenges that we have with our food system, all the way from growing to delivery. Right. But really what we need to come up with is a solution because without that solution, we still just have what we have, which is a broken food system. Right. To be clear to all my listeners, I'm not bashing our current food system. It's got holes in it. It's got problems, but it's what feeds us every day. So we can't eliminate our current food system without a solution. So what might that solution be? Right. Well, I think we need to build a food system that works for everybody. So it's going to be really hard to transfer this integrated system that is all across the country without thinking about what are the consequences and how do we change in a way that's just and benefits everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to implement new ideas to build a new food system if we don't have a strong narrative around that, if we don't connect food and farming to our values. We want to actually start to build that new narrative and get it out there with communities. So what is the dominant narrative? What do we think about when we hear farming stories? You know, we hear that we need to feed the world and we in America have the safest, most affordable food supply and we can't go back to the way the farming used to be. We need to get bigger, get out. Mm Mm-hmm. We work with a ton of farmers across the state in Iowa, and then we also have a lot of allies in 10 other states in the Midwest. And we decided, let's get farmers and eaters and food system workers together and talk about what are our values? And through that process, we can start to think about policies that actually hold our values, you know, because right now we have a lot of farmers who are trapped in the system and we don't want to like put them out of business. We want to give them a just transition into better farming. How are we making these policies and passing these policies in a way that has everybody on board and behind it? Because we can't force this. We have to get buy-in. And I think that's through connection of our values. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that food should nourish our bodies and our souls. And when we talk about what we're growing and how we're 
we're growing it. Our food system doesn't do that right now. And we talk about being stewards of the land. That's a value that I think most people hold is that we need to protect this planet that we live on. And our food system right now doesn't do that. And how are farms and the food system building communities? How are they making sure that rural towns have schools and hospitals and people in them? And our current food system you don't need to have a lot of people in an integrated system. So it sounds to me like step one is, on a personal level, distinguish and understand what our values are. That's right. And it was like a really interesting process for how we did that. A few organizers from these 10 states got together and worked with someone who had developed a narrative building process. And we were trained on how to talk about narrative. What is it? And how do we build one? And then we took that process back to our own states and to our own members and met with our members and said, okay, let's talk about this. Let's identify what this current dominant narrative is and let's identify our values. So 500 people who are ranchers and farmers and workers and eaters actually wrote down their values and we put them on little slips of paper, you know, one value per slip of paper. It could just be that farmers need a fair price for their crops. Right. It could be that we build soil. There's just all these different things that are important to us. And we took those ideas back with about a group of 25, 30 people. We laid them out on this big table and started to kind of group them together. What are all of these ideas and values that we have that center around farmers and ranchers playing a critical role in our society and they should be supported and valued so they can prosper and live healthy lives. Starting to group them together and then actually figure out what is behind these values that people hold and how is that a piece of a narrative. So we came up with this document that has like 11 points. It's ongoing because you know, we, we're learning more as we go, but then it makes it easier when we're doing our work to talk about, you know, if like right now we are working to stop a factory farm that's building in Calhoun County, Iowa. And when we're talking about it, we hear things like, well, we can't go back. And we can then use our narrative to challenge that and say, we're not talking about going back. We're talking about building a system that works for all of us. You know, farmers are smart people. We don't need to say that this is the only thing they can do. This is the only way that they can farm. If we gave farmers the trust and the power back, I think they do the right thing. And so it's like, how do we communicate that? That's a good question. How do we communicate that? Right. It's definitely a hard thing. I don't know that there's an answer right now, but it's something to ponder. I found that the best way to communicate our new narrative is when we're actually working in campaigns. So, for example, a couple of years ago, there was a new slaughterhouse that was going to build in Iowa that was likely going to make a lot of family farmers, you know, just kind of price them out of their land, make it so they didn't have a market to sell their pork. So through that fight, we were able to talk about, you know, what are the values that we have? We want to have infrastructure in small towns. And when we have one big 20,000 head kill slaughterhouse a day, that means so many other little meat processing places across the state are going to close. That was a way to talk about how the food system can build infrastructure in our small towns. So I feel like the more we engage in building the system, and especially in Iowa, you know, kind of stopping this system from continuing that we have right now, that's where we get to insert this narrative and talk about, but really, is what you're talking about going to empower people or going to make more soil run off the land? Are we going to have cover crops because we know that cover crops build soil and soil is a value of ours? Or are we not going to because it costs a little bit extra money to put that crop in in the fall? So this is a big cultural changing process. Absolutely. So really what there is for us to do is to build a new system from the ground up on a grassroots level. Is that not the case? Right. It's going to take people getting involved in our food system and taking power back away from the big corporations that are benefiting from our current food system. Yeah. 
So what is one piece that organizers out there could do to help move this thing forward? Right. Well, for our organization, we've recognized that people involved and organized are the biggest vehicle for change. So we need more people involved. And so that means we focus a lot on base building. We build our base of grassroots people across the state who can take these ideas and implement them in their own communities. So we kind of have a three-pronged strategy of how we do this in Iowa. We work to meet new people who are directly impacted by the negative parts of our food system, like factory farms. Mm -hmm. And we work with those communities to stop a factory farm from building. So we'll give them a petition, we'll connect them with other members of our organization and their community, hold planning meetings, talk about what is it that we'd rather see other than this factory farm. And then from there, you know, we have this local fight, we meet a lot of people, we build some small community. And then after that's over, we want to connect them to a larger movement. And that's where we talk about our statewide policy work, where we're up at the Capitol with these people who are directly impacted by the industry Mm -hmm. saying, Here's what we actually see for our communities. So it's like meeting people you know, at their doorstep and listening to them and helping them gain power in their communities and then connecting them with a statewide movement that's also doing that. And so we keep track of numbers a lot. We're always focused on, okay, so how many people do we know in Calhoun County, Iowa? How can we meet 100 more people in Calhoun County? What's a campaign that we can do now that we have all of these people who just tried to stop a factory farm from building? How can we go on you know, the offense? How can we pass maybe a resolution in the county that says that this is our value system for Calhoun County and this is what we want to see in our future, not these corporate factory farms? And then how do we use that to engage more people? And eventually we'll have leaders that have really stepped up in their community who can now kind of run things in that area and we're helping them run for office and get into decision-making roles. So that way, like, you know, if we start out with 10 people, then we have 100, then we have 1,000 and a statewide voice, everyone's saying the same thing and working on the same issue. And that's really powerful. It's really easy to ignore a small group of people, but when you have a lot hard to ignore them. Yeah. You're really building a base of activists to move this process forward. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that's unique about Iowa CCI is that our theory of change is not just organizing and bringing people together, but we really believe that we have to challenge power. And it's a very uncomfortable thing. And I don't think it should be comfortable. Yeah, there you go. Right. People don't change when they're comfortable. So When we ask nicely and when we say, hey, like, can you not pollute our water? Like, you have this runoff problem on your farm. They don't listen. Then, you know, sometimes we do have to get a little louder. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen a lot of success in organizing that's rooted in love for food and for the land and for the planet, but also rooted in righteous anger because we all deserve a better food system. We all deserve healthy food and we deserve living wages and we deserve a connection to the land so that way we can protect this planet that we all live on and that we need to live. (laughs) A lot of what you're saying is the reason that I teach people about urban farming and growing food in the cities and, you know, understanding where your food comes from and understanding that if you grow your own healthy food, it's better for you because you know what's in it and it's more nutrient dense. Right. Because what we're feeding people right now, when you go to the grocery store, if you're shopping in those middle aisles, if it's in a box, a can or a bag, 
Uh It's very likely not the greatest thing you could be eating. I was just in Turkey last month and I was just amazed at the food system there. Like everything I ate was fresh. Mm -hmm. And why can't we have that here? And that's a big question that I think we all need to ask ourselves. There's no reason that we can't have that here. We live in, you know, in a country that has the richest soil in the world and an infrastructure to be able to feed ourselves and our communities. We shouldn't accept the answer that this is the only way farming can be. Yeah. When I was in Croatia in 2014 on a food systems trip with the university that I worked with, mm-hmm. on the square in the middle of the town that we were in of 100,000 people, there was a store and all they sold was fruits and vegetables. Wow. See, that's awesome. I know, wasn't it? And on that same square was a seven-day-a-week farmer's market. Yeah, that is just incredible. Like building that market for farmers to sell their produce. Mm -hmm. That is something that we need to value more here. Like At least in Iowa, there are not a lot of markets for people who are practicing farming in a resilient way. That's amazing, a a seven-day-a-week farmer's market. Yeah, wasn't it? Just blew me away. I've been doing this for over 40 years with my background. It was like, oh, man, I want to live here. Right. Right. I would say like in Des Moines, for example, you know, we're right smack dab in the middle of Iowa and we don't have like a co-op grocery store here. And it just seems like, how can that be? There is a local co-op that's just started, but they just do, you know, order online and pick up your food once a week. Mm-hmm. But how is that possible? The Les Hills is an incredible natural landscape along the Missouri River on the western part of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place, great soil, but yet there's food deserts. Yeah, how's that happen? I know, it makes no sense. And that just shows what we're growing on a large scale. And I'm mostly talking about large scale farming when I talk about factory farms is what we're growing really, is it feeding us? I always have to question that because what I see on my plate, I can't connect back to a farmer and we shouldn't have food deserts in the middle of Iowa. It just makes no sense. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Oh, I always love when you ask this question because I feel like farming is full of failures that turn into (laughs) amazing successes. Yep. One that I can really think of for myself was just almost to the point of like giving up. And before I decided to not give up, that was a huge failure for me because, you know, when we don't try, that is a guaranteed failure right there. Mm -hmm. So tomatoes, I just started growing my own food within the past like five or six years. And for some reason, tomatoes, which usually grow like a weed, don't grow in my yard. And, you know, I have squirrels and rabbit problems for three years Uh and I was getting really down on that. And then finally, I was having a good year where the tomato plants were growing beautifully and I had Fresillium wilt disease and they all overnight just wilted and died. And I was just about ready to give up. You know, while my tomatoes are dying here, I have celery growing right next to it, which is a really hard thing to grow. Right. And I didn't want to use chemicals on my yard. And I was just kind of ready to say, you know, I guess I'm not going to do tomatoes. And I did a lot of research and found out about solarization. And it's like an organic way to kind of remove any fungus that's living in your soil. Yes. And it worked. And now this year, I have a beautiful crop of tomatoes. And I'm so proud of myself for not giving up and to keep trying because it will pay off one day. Oh, yeah. We just have to stay persistent. That's why I asked this question. I asked this question so that people can see that there's failures and there's a way around them. Right. And then I learned this really cool process of an organic way to you know, kind of get rid of some of those hard to beat funguses and other bad things in your soil. Yeah, exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? 
My biggest success has to be my career. I am really proud of the organization that I work for and how our theory of change has really empowered people across the state to kind of recognize their own power and then let them be able to see that like this is doable. We can accomplish this if we just come together and organize and run for office and challenge food systems when they aren't really working for us and start to talk about this new food system. For me, I think that is a huge success to be able to take this knowledge that I've learned and spread it across the state and kind of build this base of people people that are going to be the ones in this new food system. What drives you? Watching people recognize their power. I get so many phone calls at work of people that are like, oh, there's a factory farm that's going to build by my house. I don't know what to do. I can't sell my house now because my property value dropped 40%. Mm They're just really down. And then it's like, hey, I got some ideas. Let's start a petition. Can we hold a community meeting? Do you think we could get 20 people in a room? And then just kind of watching them like light up and realize, okay, we can try. And then, you know, once in a while we win and just watching them all of a sudden realize like, wow, I have so much power that I didn't know that I had. And that drives me. That makes me know that like what I'm doing is right and it's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm committed to doing. Wow. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. I do this occasionally. Look at the landscape of the last few years. And there was one or two times that something like that happened and it just moved you. And it was like, this is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. Can you tell us one of those stories? Yes. So my favorite one over the past two years was the Press Stage Slaughterhouse campaign. One of the largest pork producers that's based out of North Carolina, Press Stage Farms, wanted to build a slaughterhouse that would slaughter 20,000 hogs a day in north central Iowa. And that was the one I talked about earlier that, you know, we saw that this was going to change Mason City is where it was going to build. It's going to change the makeup of this town. It's going to put a lot of family farmers out of business. We'd lose some infrastructure of processing facilities. And we're going to see an influx of factory farms building in the area. You know, this is like one of the largest pork producers in the country. And it's like David versus Goliath campaign. How do you go up against that? Right. How do you go up against that? So we decided we're going to go to the first city council meeting. There'd be three city council meetings where they voted on this project and about 100 people showed up to the first one and all six city council members voted for the project. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was like, oh no. Okay. All right. But people were still like, you know what? We got to do something. We did yard signs that said, you know, no public money. Don't use our public money. No press stage for the slaughterhouse. No public money, no press stage. We wrote letters to the editor in the newspapers almost daily. And we had phone banks where we got people together to call their neighbors. And we did door knocking or we would knock on doors saying, hey, have you heard about the slaughterhouse coming to town? Hey, can you come to this next meeting? We're going to talk about the strategy to stop it. And we tied it into other people who are also fighting factory farms in their community is saying, hey, this impacts you too. Can you jump on board? You know, went out from a lot of different angles. And then the second city council meeting came and we had one city councilor vote no and five vote yes. And we just kept going and kept going and talking to everybody we could. And by the third city council meeting, it was a 3-3 vote tied and we won. If it's a tie, it can't be approved. That was just a moment of like, wow, organizing works. If we do it right, this works and this is powerful and this is how we take back our food system. It reminded me me that we're doing the right thing. It's hard. It's grueling work. But in the end, when a community can come together and stop one of the nation's largest pork producers Mm -hmm. from building a slaughterhouse right in the middle of town, then you know that we have power. 
And that's what drives you. That is absolutely what drives me. I can completely see that. And the exciting thing is that the people that were involved in that campaign are now the people that are coming to the state house and lobbying for a better food system. And they're the ones that are involved in talking to more neighbors and taking leadership roles in other efforts across the state. It echoes. I mean, it just grows. If you actually root yourself in organizing, mm -hmm. it spreads like a wildfire. It's beautiful. You've listened to my podcast for a while. And those of you that have listened for a while, you know, that I'm always looking for epic. And I just have to call epic on this one. <laughs> Organizing the community, the way that you do creates change. This is how we can do it. And you just shared with us how to do it. So I just want to give you a virtual high five and say, thank you for doing that. That's epic. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So if you could recommend one resource for our listeners, what would it be and why? I am a big podcast listener because I'm either out in the urban farm or I'm on the road traveling to communities across the state. So lots of podcasts. And I do want to give a shout out to your podcast. It is one of my favorites. Well, thank you. But another one that I also just think reminds us that there's an alternative narrative out there and that the way information is presented to us isn't always the only way is Democracy Now! podcast. It's a new show every day with Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. And it's not just centered around food systems, but it's a really good reminder of the way you hear CNN or Fox News or whatever, how they talk about an issue. There's a whole other story out there that's not being told. And that's going to help us build this new narrative and implement it into our food system. Beautiful. You keep using the word narrative. Give me a 30 second description of what that is. That's always hard because narrative is such a big concept. Narrative is what roots us in our beliefs. So, for example, the feed the world narrative. We hear that out there everywhere. And yeah, we need to feed people, but we need to dig into what does that mean? How does that phrase that's inherent inside of us actually manifest itself in the real world? And feed the world means that we're growing food to export to faraway places mm -hmm. and we're getting the waste and we're not actually feeding our communities or get big or get out. The only way that you can farm is by getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Those are part of this dominant narrative that helps craft our policies. You know, if we had everyone talking about how food is a human right, and that was a narrative, uh -huh. then we could talk about how do we make sure everyone is fed. It's kind of like taking your values and turning it into this messaging that without even realizing it is everywhere in our TV shows and the radio in print material and pictures. Like when you look at a farming picture, it's usually a white man standing in front of a bunch of corn. And it's like, how do we make people think that, you know, you don't have to be a white guy growing corn to be a farmer? How do we change what people think of when they're thinking about our food system? Perfect. Thank you for that. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Mine is definitely just get involved. And I think there's organizations all across the country like CCI that you can connect to. And then the other thing is three questions that I like to challenge people to think about when they're talking about what a food system should be is when we're talking about a food system, how do we make healthy food affordable for everyone? How do we make sure that producers are getting a fair price? And how do we make sure food workers are getting a living wage? And I think that if we can get at those things, there's no way we can go wrong with building a food system. If it's fair for everyone, that's part of it, mm -hmm. then it's probably good for all of us. Like you want people to get involved and get engaged in campaigns and to really challenge their thinking about what is this food system benefiting and who is it benefiting? And how can we come up with healthy food for ourselves? That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Jess. Yeah, you're welcome. This was a lot of fun. Well, and I'm glad you're a listener and that you decided to dive in and come and join us. All you listeners out there, if you got a cool story, even if you don't think it's cool and you're growing food for your community, it's probably cool. So reach out to us because I'd love to have you on as our guest. 
Just like Jess. Thank you again for that. Yeah, no problem. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? If you want to take a look at our organization, Iowa CCI, it's www.iowacci.org. Or you can shoot me an email at jess at iowacci.org. And Iowa is spelled out. What is CCI? Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. We've been around for 42 years and we're all about empowering grassroots people to take on the things impacting their lives. Nice. thank you for the work that you do. Yeah, thank you. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash CCI. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, and courses. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.